Psalm 40, 2 and 3 says, He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock. That's what today's about. And established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Today I sense that God wants to me just to share testimony mainly. Um, some of this is pretty hard. Some of this is not going to be able to be on the recording. Um, but through this, God wants to help us to fix our eyes on him wherever we're at and to get free from some stuff. Um, and we're going to walk together in that. Thank you, Simon. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Dave. So um, I'm up here because I'm too short down there, I've been told. <laughs> but actually, there's, there's a reason why I'm up here. I'll show you at the end. <laughs> This, this message is about valleys. And here, valleys of trial. And where do they lead? Do they leave us with roots of bitterness? Or do they lead us through a door of hope? And it's based around two scriptures, main scriptures. One's in Psalm 84 that we'll look at in ones in Hosea 2. And these scriptures speak of valleys as being hard places and experiences that we travel through in life. And how we view these trials and how we travel through them determine how those trials will affect us for the rest of our life, right? You probably, like this is nothing new. <laughs> Anybody could be up here saying this. Stuff happens in life, really horrible, hard stuff. And most often we have no idea why. Um, but God has given us some keys so that we can get through and come out stronger and freer. And that's what I'm here to, to declare and testify to. Have you ever read in James 1, Two and four. You probably know the story, counted all joy when you face trials of many kinds, and thought that author has got to be mad. You know, how can I possibly associate trials with joy? Um, isn't that some kind of like bury your head in the sand Christianese? You know, it's not real. But what if in those very verses, James was shining a light? onto something that could release us into the purpose of the trials that we face. Let's read it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Notice he says when and not if. Like the pressures I spoke of last time, trials are inevitable. I'm sorry if that mucks with your theology. 
They are an occasion of joy, for joy, not discouraged resignation. That's what he's saying. But why? Let's read on. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Some translations say patience. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So this journey of life is about growing up and becoming mature. Without the trials, it seems, that's not going to happen. Interesting, isn't it? They produce perseverance and patience, and that is not a passive waiting. You know, you're in the doctor's surgery and you're just waiting. That's not the patience we're talking about. We're talking about the patience and perseverance it's needed in us to fill and complete a marathon. It's that kind of perseverance. Notice that it's the testing of faith that produces perseverance. Interesting thought. Trials do not produce faith. Trials reveal what faith we have and give us the opportunity to use it. And it's in the using of it that that grows. Romans 10.17 tells us how faith is built. Faith is built when we hear and understand and trust God's word. So if you want more faith, it's through his word. But the trials test our faith and they produce this perseverance, this tenacity, this endurance, this ability to, to keep on going that we need. It's the saddest thing if there was some gold that God was wanting to, to form in us through a trial, but we missed it because we received the trial with unbelief and grumbling. That would be the saddest thing. Sadder still, if instead of hope, what is formed in us is a root of bitterness. I know what that feels like, and I'll tell you about that a bit later. I think that what James is doing is actually giving us a direct key on how to endure. So unless we have the right eyes to see and to understand the trial, we won't get what the trial's all about. Counted all joy is faith's response to a time of trial. It reminds me of another scripture, so key. How did Jesus endure his ultimate trial? Look at Hebrews 12.2, fix your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. So Jesus himself had something in his sight that enabled him to endure a trial. He had his eyes on what was set before him, and we fix our eyes on him. He's our joy. So let's look at Psalm 84. Blessed are those whose strength is anew, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. 
Some translations say the way of holiness, the way of righteousness, God's way. But it's about journey. As they pass, not if they pass, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. This is a picture in the, in the old days. They reckon that this was probably written by David when he had been expelled out of Jerusalem and he was longing and, and seeing this vision of pilgrims going to Jerusalem on their pilgrimages to celebrate the feasts. But it's more than that because our journey is our journey through life and we're going towards something, aren't we? <laughs> and, and there is stuff that happens and all these things are applicable to us in our everyday life. They've got strength that resources only in God and their eyes are set there and they're journeying toward what God has for them. Paul says, you know, I press on towards the goal for which Christ has laid hold of me forgetting what is past. This valley of Baca actually means weeping. And some commentators say that it, it was a place that was full of mulberry bushes and thorns, and it couldn't be passed without labor and tears. Interesting, isn't it? The first thing I um, want to share about, I have spoken about before, um, and that is when uh, it's just one thing that we went through as a family when we lost our fourth child halfway through the pregnancy and this for our family was and for me personally was a major valley to walk through and there were, there were many lessons along that valley and I just want to briefly share some of the things that came out of that valley of trial and testing. One of the things was he showed me very clearly, and you've got to realize that I, by nature, was a worrier. I was constantly worrying about things that hadn't happened yet, but that might happen. And so my life was very full of fear and worry. But he showed me very clearly that he only gives his grace at the time it's needed. He doesn't give his grace in advance. So that kind of shuts out the possibility that you're going to get grace for your worry about a few months down the track. Now, he did this quite practically um, on the... The morning of Thursday, the 13th of November, 2003, I went to my midwife normal checkup. Um, I was about 19 weeks pregnant. And that midwife couldn't find a heartbeat. Now, at the time, I never once contemplated that the baby had died because there was the possibility that she just couldn't find the heartbeat. That happens, you know. But when it came to three o'clock in the afternoon 
and we went to have a scan. At that point, they said this baby has died and it died probably about three or four days ago. And the, the pain that pierced my heart at that time was like a sword. But at that time, I had my husband there to grab hold of. And my beautiful boys were out in the waiting room just outside. See, I didn't have them there at the moment before. The grace was there at the time I needed it. And I would worry there were wave upon wave upon wave of things. And anyone that has lost someone close to them will know how grief works. It literally comes in in waves. And it's not like one big deal. It's just like something else. But every time there was grace, not so I didn't feel it, so I didn't have pain. There was pain. It's not about diminishing pain. It's about being with you in the pain and growing you through it and you're not being alone in the pain. He also talked to me right early on about the Psalm 23, and I'd never seen it this way. It, you know, he says, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll never fear no evil, for I'm with you. And I felt at that, that first kind of, in, in these first days of this, this darkness coming over me, and I felt, I remembered what it was like as a little wee child to have a, a, a cold shadow come over me, and the fear that that brought, because I didn't know what had made the shadow, it was just something big and cold, and it felt like this cold, dark shadow was coming over me, and and he said, the, the death this, this experience is a, a new thing. And the shadow is the unknown quality of that, that you don't, you've never been this way, you don't know what it's like. But I'd never thought about it. You can't have a shadow without a light source. I was like, oh my goodness. And he said, you can choose to look at the death. You can choose to look at the unknown fear of going through a journey you don't know. Or you can choose to look at me, the light source, who you know. Because I'm going to be there. And in that choosing what you put your eyes on right now, Sandra, it's going to determine how you walk through this valley. Because there's no just getting over it. You have to walk it. You have to go through this valley. You cannot abort the process. You have to go through. And... He, in that, showed me that there was a good way to grieve and there was a not very good way to grieve. And there was this freedom to express my grief in whatever ways. There was no, you've got to hide it from this person or you can't, whatever. There was this, and he is so good. There were so many times when I went into situations and, again, it would just... It was very unpredictable. It made me lose my sense of being in control big time because I'd go into places and suddenly um, I would be overwhelmed and feeling really um, embarrassed and there would be all sorts of weird things. So there was no, 
there was freedom just to be who I was and to respond as I did. But when I ever started going down the path of self-pity, then he would speak to me and say, Sandra, that's not the way my healing works. That's not a good way. So there was a, a freedom in being who I was, but please don't go down this self-pity way because that's just going to lead you into death. I realized in this time that I was seeing him and seeing eternity here in a way that I hadn't. The day before, life was just busy and full and normal, and then suddenly, whoosh, there's eternity, and everything stopped. But there was a preciousness in that, unbelievable. The I got a picture at this time of a spider web, and it had droplets of, of rain on it. And I, I saw this one droplet, and it was getting fuller and fuller. But in you know how you see when the sun's shining on it, you see those incredible, sh- the, the sparkling, glistening colors and reflections and the drop, you know, the glory that's in a droplet of rain with the sun on it is unbelievable, unspeakable. And I had this very strong sense that he was showing me things of himself, of eternity, that I needed to get deep on the inside and retain and and treasure because it wasn't going to last forever. And I'll, I'll show you a picture. This is something I wrote in my journal, December 3, 2003. Like a droplet poised in eternal suspension on the vast, fragile spider web of life, with ever-changing, glittering reflections and glory, so is this time in our lives. There is preciousness, depth, glimpses of eternity and life lessons to be observed and conserved forever. This moment will not last, but how important it is that it's lived and all insight be tucked away and preserved in our hearts. We may not travel this road again, and to be sure, this particular raindrop will reach its fullness and descend to the earth. Lord, help me capture the facets of life and truth I see so clearly now, that there be no regrets of loss later. I journaled a lot, and the treasure that I gained in that time has become part of me. As a family, we all grieved in different ways, and our remaining sons with 13, 11, and 8, the pregnancy had had been a shared thing from the moment I knew it, five weeks pregnant, and it had been, um, honestly, the boys were so, so overjoyed at getting a little brother or little sister at that time they didn't know. Um, and they were planning, they, they came to us to scans, we planned out what we were going to do, and there were, it was very much a family pregnancy and a family grief. Um, so because of that, there were moments that uh, each one responded in different ways, and honestly, children... Um, they, they all respond in different ways, and it's just like having 
those opportunities just to hear. There were nightmares. There were there was self blame. There was fear. There was a lot of things happening in in the children. But as we walked together and talked and shared those moments, um, this whole situation actually brought us closer together. And we made a garden together. We tended his grave. We spent family times and stuff like that. And as we healed together, we did that as we hurt together, if you know what I mean. There were times when other people had no idea and would go home and talk to each other, and and um, that was quite significant. You'll see what what it was that I had, and there was a, a journal entry around the time he was due, the 8th of April. How rushed life seems again now. How many times do we just fill up our lives with other things to think about? What if the times when stand, time stands still and eternity envelops us and we can ponder on the precious, loving, and living present words of God is speaking out to us now? What if the times when we can share such intimate stillness or pain or depth with another human being, drawing from, giving out, just being and knowing a new depth of love, sharing and communicating from the heart, unafraid because of the quality of the of the grace and love at work. I can tell you I did not leave that valley with fear and loss. I left it with love and with a precious richness. I left it with a sense of being whole, being healed properly. There have been incredible opportunities since to walk with others going, who have gone through the same sort of situation. And he has added to us through that. I'll tell you a gorgeous wee thing I found out not um, more than about a year or so ago. That I act, um, came through a situation where one of my students' mother had a similar experience. And in the process, I found out this student, whose name is Nate, his birthday is on the day that my baby was due. Exactly. And his name was Nathaniel. Nathaniel and Nathaniel. And I get to teach Nathaniel every week. What a blessing. From a Christian family. Like, that's not a coincidence. So, I want to share another verse that I think helps to flip our thinking and bring light into the darkest place. And it's from Hosea 2. Therefore, I'm now going to allure her. You want to take a moment to read Hosea 2. It's the most profound um, chapter of the love of God turning a rebellious wife and drawing her back and restoring her into relationship. I will allure her and lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards, and this is the one, and will make the valley of Accor a door of hope. There she will respond to me as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. Now, this word Akor means trouble and disturbance. It's actually the valley where Achan 
was stoned with his whole family. He was the fellow that knit some stuff for himself and buried it under the tent, you know, after they did, they did Jericho and then they did the, this other battle and, and he went and took some stuff for himself, which was never what God had um, commanded. And so it was a place of calamity. They were in the promised land and it showed that just being in the promised land doesn't mean that you're going to get victory because to get victory, you need to be conquered by God. He needs to be the one that is in control. We don't control it. Anyway, this valley of Achor, serious and extreme, causing sorrow. My journey had further to go because I had gathered some stuff. This is my cloak of stuff. There was hurt locked up inside. There was resentment. There was anger um, with various people, unforgiveness blaming. Um, But more than that, there were whole operating systems that were binding me. Um, Operating systems often based in fear, fear of man, fear of failure, um, an overwhelming disappointment in myself, um, and a sense of failing God. And I have shared this part of the journey with you um, before, but it is, I think, really important because, you see, the Valley of Acre, he makes into a door of hope. And there's an opportunity that he gives to throw off stuff and to walk in and enter into freedom. And this particular time for me was... um, by this stage, I'd started coming here, and I heard Johnny speaking about blind Bartimaeus, and, and he started off, and he said, and blind Bartimaeus screamed out, Jesus, like this. And as soon as he said that, in my heart was like, that's me. I'm screaming out. I know this stuff is in me, and I need truth to come into my inmost parts. I have to be made well. I have to have Jesus come. And he talked about, as, as the disciples fetched blind Bartimaeus, how he threw off his cloak. What was the cloak about? Why is that even mentioned? And he talked about the cloak being his comfort, his protection in a place that God never intended him to live, on the side of this horrible, scungy road. And as he said that, I knew there was stuff I had to throw off. And And uh, Hebrews 12 talks about, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us or entangles us, that there's a throwing off and let's fix our eyes, run with perseverance, fix our eyes on, on Jesus. And I knew that I had to throw off a cloak 
And I want the boys to bring in my door, my door of hope. Because I really sense today that you too might want to use this as an opportunity to throw off your stuff. Maybe there's things that... <laughs> Isn't that cool? To me, butterflies signify transformation, new life. And there is a sense for me that when I did this, I literally named failure, fear of failure. I named disappointment in myself. I named fear of man. And every single thing that came to my mind that I knew was tangling around, I, I released blame and, and bitterness towards people. And I forgave. And, and it was this throwing off act and coming through and coming to see Jesus. And you know, at that time, the most incredible thing happened because Jesus came to me and I saw him as clear as anything. And he was right there and his eyes were looking straight into me. And he said these words so clearly and so powerfully. He said, behold, the old has passed away and I have made everything new. And I, I remember just standing there and seeing him in the spirit and being overwhelmed that here I was in my 40s having tried so hard to please him since I was 18, having felt that I had failed entirely and he was giving me a clean start that moment. And I know that that was real, but I had to choose to live in it because there was an opportunity. He was giving me this opportunity to move from this point free of the stuff. And I tell you what, I did not want that stuff anymore. I had got so low that I realized what it was doing to everything of life. And I remember that that, that became a defining moment for me. I remember a week later, so, and I've shared this story, coming and saying, so what do you want me to do now? I'm free, you know, expecting this great commission. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, just standing there. And he came, and I literally felt him put his finger, literally come into me and fill me, and his fingers went into my fingers, and his toes went into my toes, till every part of me was filled with him. And I didn't dare move, and he said the words, you will see what I see, and you will go where I go. And it flipped me completely, because it was no more about trying to get him to come and help me do my thing, or the thing I thought he wanted me to do. It was about me knowing him and following him and going where he was going. And those 
things live in me. That is my life. The testimony of this valley is what I live in every single day. And it continues to grow. So I want us just to spend some time asking God. And there may be something in this testimony that that God has spoken to you about. There might be something completely unrelated. That's how the Holy Spirit works. But you may need to or feel that you you would like to um, make a, a, a step and throw some things off, maybe forgive some people, maybe repent of some stuff, maybe ask him for insight into things that that is on the inside. You will know what it is. But I want to open up the opportunity if you want to go through and just come around the back and just spend some time doing what you need to do and walk through and spend some time with God. If you need to come through with a friend, come through with a friend. You know, but let's just spend some time with him. He is the one that causes the Valley of Acre to become a door of hope. We don't do that, but he does. And the most incredible life comes through that. I am so thankful that I am not what I was. I am so thankful. And if it took that valley to get that out of me, then bring it on. If there's more stuff, bring it on. That's why I now look at trials and say, yes, yes, I counted it all joy because I know that this trial is going to bring me into freedom. I embrace it because I know what it has done and the freedom that it's brought. So can we just do that?